Hey, I'm Stephanie. I'm a woman in recovery, and this is the Recovery State of Mind podcast. On January 23rd of 2020, I made the decision to start a personal journey of recovery regarding my unhealthy relationship with alcohol, undiagnosed mental illness, and improving my overall mental well-being. Each week, I will share my own experiences and what has helped me in recovery. I will also speak with other individuals to share their stories of hope and healing. Some content we discuss can be triggering, and just a reminder that I'm not a doctor or licensed counselor of any kind. I'm here to share my experiences in recovery in hopes to inspire others and be a voice of comfort as you too navigate this thing called life. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm excited today to talk a little bit more about my sobriety. Um, In my most recent episode that was released, I did a recovery update. So kind of all-encompassing on what's been going on since I started my recovery journey in January of this past year, 2020. Um, I wanted to share more about um, sobriety specifically. So kind of, you know, why I got sober, why I've stayed sober, some of the things that I have gained since being in recovery, um, things like that. Um, so that's what today's episode is about. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so I've been concept consecutively sober now since 624 of 2020. Um, prior to that, I, like I said, I had started my recovery journey on January 23rd of 2020, had a little incident where I took one shot of alcohol. I think the biggest thing with that is that I could have completely swept that under the rug and just pretended it never happened and continued on with my daily clock of sobriety. Um, But I felt that it was really important to share that, A, because relapse does happen in recovery. And um, even though I don't consider it a major relapse where, you know, I went on a bender or I excessively drank, I still took a shot of alcohol and the main reason behind doing so um, was an emotional response to something. So it still showed that I, you know, struggled with my emotions and utilizing alcohol in kind of an unhealthy manner. So um, anyways, I, you know, got right back on after that and haven't had a drink since. So I'm proud of that. Um, So why did I get sober? Honestly, the first step in AA is basically recognizing that I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. And that's exactly what had happened. Um, I was absolutely powerless over alcohol since my first drink. Um, I've always been the person that one was never enough and I would get intoxicated right away. Um, it was just, it's just one of those things for me that unfortunately one is never, ever going to be enough. Um, and I found myself going down a very slippery slope. Um, you know, it was drinking here and there when I would go out on a date or with friends or whoever turning into getting completely drunk, going out on a date or with friends or whatever. Um, and then from there finding myself in situations that, um, were very unsafe were very toxic. Um, I'm grateful that I was protected and things could have gotten a lot worse than they did. 
Um, and with that, sometimes I feel like I deal a little bit with something called imposter syndrome. So essentially, I question kind of my reality around being an alcoholic. Um, there's certain things that people expect if you say you're an alcoholic, that you did have this major rock bottom story, that you were homeless, that you sold everything you had to get alcohol, things like that. And my my story doesn't it doesn't have those aspects of it. Um, but I still had everyone's rock bottom is different. And that's something important to remember when you talk to someone about their recovery journey, that it's different for every person. And, you know, my rock bottom is obviously not the same as the person down the street. Like we all are just different humans and different things happen. So, uh, I just, I deal with that sometimes because I feel like, I feel like I either have to justify why I'm an alcoholic or sometimes to alcoholics, I feel like my story isn't intense enough. Um, And it it goes back to me and being confident in me and my story. And it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. It matters how my life was with alcohol and how my life is now without alcohol. So those are some things that I work on in my sobriety Um, for sure. And just not letting those outside forces really affect kind of my recovery. Um, So essentially what had happened was um, I attempted to do a dry January challenge. Uh, I realized that I, I definitely didn't realize that I had a problem. I had just realized that I was drinking more frequently and that when I was drinking, um, that things were getting more and more out of hand. So I decided uh, at the start of January in 2020 that I was going to do dry January. Um, I made it almost two weeks. And then again, my life was unmanageable. I was drinking at home um, by myself. I was, you know, going out again, um, things like that. So I couldn't even make it through a 30-day commitment and I felt like that said a lot um, that for 30 days I you know I couldn't give up this thing in my life that you know was obviously causing issues so um, from there I as I've mentioned in past episodes as well um, I went into an inpatient treatment facility on January 23rd um, and I went through detox. Um, detox was really just kind of a like, uh, shoot, I can't think of the word right now, but basically just something that they, if you, if you said certain things regarding alcohol, they automatically kind of put you through detox. So I did not have, um, dependence withdrawal. I didn't have shakes. I didn't have DTs or anything like that. So Um, I still went through the detox process. Um, and even, even then I didn't think I had a problem. It wasn't like I went into treatment and I was like, okay, as soon as I get out of here, like I'm going to be sober. Um, because I went in for mental health and, um, for suicidal ideation. And I just never thought that I was going in for alcohol reasons. Um, so it was kind of through my time in there that I realized even more that maybe my alcohol 
consumption had become an issue. I obviously met other alcoholics and people who had similar issues. So it was a lot of eye-opening experiences. It was a lot of um, looking back and um, identifying like what were issues that I never thought were issues. Um, And then kind of it just came down to a conversation I had with my mom one night when she came to visit and basically just like laid it all out. Like, this is what's happening, you know, like this is, you know, basically saying my life's unmanageable with alcohol. And, you know, she encouraged me to think about staying sober and, you know, that for my own mental health and well-being, that drinking was obviously not something that was helpful. Um, so once I left there, I decided to stay sober. Uh, at first, I didn't do it for anyone else, but or I didn't do it for myself. I did it for everyone else. Sorry. Um, it was, I'm going to stay sober because I'm staying with my parents and, you know, they're encouraging me to, and out of respect to be in their, in their home, I'm going to stay sober. Um, it was, well, I've started a sober journey. Like I have a sober clock going, like I might as well stick with it for a while. It was never really a, like, you know what? I realized that I'm going to die if basically if I keep drinking, um, I got to that point through, you know, recovery and through therapy and through, um, just really self-reflecting, um, you know, I put myself in harm's way. I put other people in harm's way. I made decisions by the way I acted, you know, I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed other people, like all of those things through my drinking. So eventually I did come to the place where it was like, okay, like I'm going to do this for myself. Like I know I want to get better. I know as far as my mental health goes, like I want to be better. I want to be happier, healthier, all of those things. Um, and so I decided like, Hey, it's time. Like I'm doing this for me just as much as I'm doing it for everyone else. And I think that makes a really big difference. Um, and I will say, you know, having the slip up that I did in June of taking the shot of alcohol after I did that, I realized like it didn't fix anything. It was honestly just a stupid mistake and it brought no value. It didn't fix the situation. It didn't take away the hurt. It didn't do anything. It was just a stupid decision on how I wanted to handle a situation. And um, so I really feel like at that point, it was a turning point for me. Like, hey, you got to do this for yourself. Like, you can't do this for anyone else. So... Um, that's, that, you know, was, it was, it was a big turning point for me. Um, some things that I have learned in that I think were kind of like important in the beginning and for anybody that's like starting out on a sobriety journey. And let me preface this by saying, I obviously only have 60 some days where I've been consecutively sober and I've only been in recovery for, you know, seven months. So I have a long, long way to go and I have a lot to learn. So I'm simply just sharing, you know, what my sobriety journey has looked like and what my recovery has looked like. 
And these are things that are specific to me. So it's not anything from a book. It's nothing from a doctor. It's nothing like that. It's truly just my own story of recovery that I'm sharing. Um, So some things I learned is that it's okay to put yourself first and put your recovery first. And honestly, I think that's like the biggest thing because as addicts, you become very selfish um, because you are so infatuated on that next drink and things like that, that you, you do become selfish. But there's a difference in the selfishness when it comes to your recovery. Um, you cannot put other people first in your recovery or I don't think it's going to last um, because someone will always do or say the wrong thing or trigger you or if you're putting someone else's needs ahead of your own through recovery like it's just I just don't think it will work so I learned that it was okay to put myself first in my recovery and I think through therapy I learned how to do that in healthy ways you know, and not to just completely neglect everyone else in my family or in my friends, things like that. Um, that's where the second thing that I feel like I learned was that a support system is an absolute like must. Um, there's no way I would have made it through the first, you know, couple weeks, month, whatever, without support. And even now, I still need my support system just as much. Um, so a support system can look different for everybody it goes back to like how recovery is different for everyone and their stories and rock bottoms like support systems can look totally different too um of course there's alcoholics anonymous um and for me i went to one alcoholics anonymous meeting when i was in treatment and then as i after i came out of treatment i was really nervous to do that and so i kind of put it off and then covid happened (laughs) So I didn't have the opportunity to go to an in-person AA meeting. Um, But that is, you know, obviously a huge thing for a lot of people that they believe that they couldn't have gotten through their sobriety without AA. And I can completely see that because of people that have, you know, been through AA and like I know their stories and even the exposure I have had to AA, like I, I can absolutely see the value there. So for mo- for a lot of people, AA is definitely um, a must for their support system. A sponsor can be a part of your support system. I, again, with COVID, I've never really found an actual sponsor. I have some mentors in my life that I would consider pretty close to sponsors um, that are there that I can call or text when I'm struggling. So I think finding a sponsor or just a very close friend um, or mentor, someone that you can call when you're having those moments is really important. Outside of that, for me, support looked like my family first. Um, Obviously, I continue to be really open and honest with my parents. I lived with them. Um, I'm actually moving out this weekend, so I've been here for about seven months, but completely honest with them. There were times where I had to tell them that, you know, I'm really struggling with cravings right now. I really want to drink. Um, so having them as a support was really huge. Um, and thankfully they don't drink. So alcohol wasn't in the home. So that was, you know, made it a lot easier for me. And I think that's really important wherever you choose to live that the people around you support you enough to to not bring alcohol 
into the house. Um, so I'm, you know, I was lucky to have that with my family. Um, my close friends became my support system. You know, I had friends that were acquaintances or I thought were friends that I found out through this really weren't. And so the people that stuck around are the ones that are now a part of my support system because they were willing to go through this with me and try to understand what I was going through, not pass judgment, um, and just be there for me. So I think finding those people and knowing that it's okay to walk away from other relationships, I think that's really important because if you're going to get sober, there's a lot of people in your life that don't want you to be sober because they are the ones that had the fun with you or that exposed you to certain things. But again, it goes back to putting yourself first and your recovery first, and it's okay to walk away from some of those relationships. Is it painful? Is it hard? Is it difficult? Of course. Um, But again, if this is something you really want, like I just, it came down to that where it was like, some of these relationships I just knew I had to walk away from. Something else that I learned um, is that sobriety makes people uncomfortable, Um, especially people that drink a lot. Um, I'm not saying that they drink a lot as in they're an alcoholic, but they may really enjoy drinking. And so you being sober is uncomfortable for them. And that's, again, where people start to kind of walk away from your life when you know you're not doing those things that you used to when you drank um and it makes people uncomfortable because it's they don't know what to say or they don't know what to do or they say insensitive things and I don't think people always mean to say insensitive things it just happens um because again it makes people uncomfortable (laughs) and kind of with that um and talking about like things that people say um I've had people ask me like can you talk about what you should or shouldn't say to someone who's in sobriety um and I can but it goes back to the point that's been made twice now of every person is different so something you could say to me it might really trigger me or upset me and you could say it to John Smith and it wouldn't mean anything to him So I just feel like it's really different for every person and that's where it comes down to really knowing people and having open conversations. I'm completely open to anyone talking to me about my sobriety. I really welcome that and open that because it does make me feel more supported and genuinely feel like they care. So if you have a friend in your life that's going through a sober journey I mean, talk to them about it. Like, ask them how you can support them. Ask them what might make them uncomfortable. Um, You know, not inviting them to things might make them more uncomfortable than if you invited them and they decided not to come. So I really, really think that that's important. I mean, I'll share some things that maybe are uncomfortable for me, but I really think it's important that if you have someone in your life that's going through a sober journey or that's a recovering alcoholic, um, to just have that conversation with them. We're human. We want to talk about, you know, our struggles and what we're going through in our journey. So again, it's just, I think it's really important just to talk, um, and have open, open and honest conversations. Um, 
one of the most triggering things for me, I think, is when people might say that, like, oh, I would have never thought you had a problem, or you don't look like an alcoholic, or you don't look like an addict. Like, okay, well, what does an addict look like? What does an alcoholic look like? You know, I mean, there's obviously we we know stereotypes. We know stereotypes from TV and things like that. But again, there's there's wonderful businessmen walking around or strong women that run businesses that they're alcoholics you know what I mean so it's like you can't ever really judge someone by how they look on whether or not they have a problem and I just find that kind of you know invalidating and I think sometimes that's said to be like a compliment but it's really not (laughs) um Some other things that might be, like, uncomfortable. Um, This one is... It's asking if we're okay. Um, I can just tell you no. (laughs) No addict, recovering addict, alcoholic, whatever, is okay. Um, There's a lot going on for that person, and there's a lot going on in their minds, and especially in the beginning of early recovery, the first couple months, first couple weeks, like, no. We're absolutely 155,000% not okay. (laughs) So it goes back to having that conversation with them of, you know, how can I support you? What, What are some things that might be helpful for you to get through, you know, these first couple weeks? Stuff like that. It's just... Again, having that conversation. Um, I, with COVID, haven't, and I don't have a huge friend group of like going out all the time. The people that I went out with, I've disconnected with uh, or disconnected from. So this hasn't really been a huge issue for me, mostly because of that. But then also with COVID and not like going out, I haven't experienced this a whole lot. But um, some of the things that I know would make me uncomfortable is definitely to be singled out. So especially in a group of people, like if you're all drinking and then one person singles, you know, me out for not drinking, I would be really, really uncomfortable. Um, I mean, and I think that's fair to say for anybody in any type of situation, if you're the only person not doing something or you don't look a certain way or you don't do a certain thing, like it's very uncomfortable to be put on the spot and like to be singled out so I don't know just be cautious when you're with you know your friends that are in a sober journey like not to single them out and I think also asking why someone isn't drinking is extremely insensitive um to be honest my take on this is alcohol is a poison and it's almost more of a stupid question to ask why someone's not drinking rather than me asking, oh, well, why are you drinking? You know, like, why are you putting poison into your body? Um, but it's not viewed that way in society. But if you are to ask someone, well, why aren't you drinking? Um, you know, that's, and it's just inconsiderate. And as far as answering that question, you know, I don't owe anyone an explanation as to why I'm not drinking. Um, you know, personal preference. It's better for my health. It's better for my mental health. You know, I never have to tell someone, oh, well, I have an issue with drinking. And that's not because it's a shameful thing or I'm hiding it. It's my business. And I don't have to tell everyone every time why I'm not drinking. So I just like, 
that's something to think about if you're again if you're in a group and someone isn't drinking like oh or saying oh are you pregnant (laughs) you know things like that it's just being just be sensitive humans basically (laughs) um and i think some of the other things would just be simple things like saying that you don't think someone has a problem or that they didn't have a problem or just saying well you can just stop drinking um alcoholics addicts cannot just stop it doesn't work like that um there's a lot of mental work that has to go into getting sober um it's unfortunately it's not that simple if it were that simple we would have stopped drinking a long time ago (laughs) so some things that i miss and i think that this is okay and that this is something that needs to be more normalized It's almost like people in sobriety aren't allowed to say that, oh my goodness, I'd love to have a drink or, oh, I, I miss this about drinking or whatever. Like, no, it's okay for anybody that gives up anything. You're going to feel some type of way and it's okay to miss those things. It's what you do when you miss those things. That's what matters. So there are some things that I miss. Um, you know, I miss going to Buffalo Wild Wings, ordering some wings, and having a tall Michelob Ultra. (laughs) I miss that because that's something I did just enjoy. But it got to a point where it wasn't just that, you know? But I miss that. Um, I miss the taste of sweet red wine. I loved the taste of that. So, of course, there are nights where I miss that. I miss the ridiculously high amount of confidence I had when I was under the influence. (laughs) Now, I can look at that though and see that a lot of times that became a problem. So while I miss that sometimes in social situations, I know that that wasn't real and that I'm better off being myself than a fake confident version of myself. (laughs) Um, And then honestly, the last thing is just you know, I miss being able to casually drink on a Friday night. Um, I had someone recently that just texted me that they were, it was Friday night, they were out drinking. Like I, you know, I miss that. I miss doing things that our society calls as normal. Um, and I think that's completely fine because again, society does make drinking normal. And so to miss, feel like you're missing out on some of those things because you don't drink. Um, so the last thing that I just wanted to talk about is kind of, um, what's happened in sobriety. Like, what are the things that I, um, have gotten out of sobriety? Um, so I feel my emotions and this comes with positive and negatives. Um, negatives is just that it's extremely difficult, (laughs) sitting and feeling my emotions versus numbing out with alcohol can sometimes be a challenge. It's painful. I don't like to feel my emotions all the time. Um, so it's definitely a challenge, but there's also an upside to that of, I do get to feel my emotions. I'm more present. I'm in the moment. I feel things deeply. And so, especially when there's positive emotions, I genuinely presently get to feel that emotion. And that's a positive thing for me. A huge one is I feel less shame. 
you know, I don't wake up the next day and try to remember what I did and then feel shame for XYZ or for calling this person out or for sharing somebody's secret or whatever it is. Like I, I feel less shame all the time. (laughs) And that's an amazing thing to not have to wake up and feel like, shit, (laughs) what did I do last night? What do I need to apologize for? Hangover free. I mean, that right there is probably one of the biggest positives to not drinking. (laughs) I'm 30 years old. I cannot drink like I used to anyways. And now I don't have to wake up with a hangover. It's wonderful. That comes with better hydration and better health for sure. Um, Both of those things, you know, being dehydrated is one of the worst feelings goes back to the to the hangover. Um, But also just my overall health and my my mental health. Um, Alcohol is a depressant. So when you're mixing a person with major depressive disorder and alcohol, that's when you create some of that suicidal ideation or those suicidal attempts because alcohol is a depressant. So my overall mental health is in a better state because I'm not drinking. Um, I've become more present. I talked about that a little bit, but I get to feel those emotions. I get to be in the moment more. Um, When there is a social activity, I am more present in what's happening and not being a blubbering idiot, basically. Uh, I've made some really genuine connections through my sobriety. Um, I found basically a mentor through a virtual support group. Um, I meet with her, talk with her a couple times a week. She's become a huge positive influence in my life. She is also sober. I made connections even when I went to treatment. Some of these people that they were my family while I was in treatment. Um, we had each other's backs and some of those have lasted outside of treatment. And so I'm forever grateful for those connections, whether they lasted while we were there or that I still talk to them. Like, I'm just really grateful for some of those connections. Um, and, and last is kind of twofold. I've taken up some new hobbies, but I also feel like I'm finding a general idea of who I am. Um, for, basically 30 years of my life, I didn't know who I was. I molded into whoever I was around. I never had my own hobbies, my own interests. And so through sobriety, you know, you can't have idle hands where that's where it gets even harder not to drink. So I've really been able to find new things that I enjoy. I love to paint. Um, I spend the weekends sometimes like cooking or trying out new recipes, especially since I eat a ketogenic lifestyle. Um, then I can like try out some new keto recipes. So those are some things that like just fill my time, but I also really enjoy. I've learned a lot about crystals and, um, just more about my spirituality and things like that. So I've taken up new hobbies and in the mean, you know, in doing that, I have started to learn and uncover and unfold more and more of who Stephanie is. And that has been probably one of the biggest blessings because I feel like I'm coming into my own. I'm really living a genuine life and that feels really good. So, um, I hope that this episode was helpful. Um, I just felt like it was important to share some of these things around sobriety, 
I'm, you know, appreciate anybody who's listening. And, and if you are, you know, new to your sobriety or you're starting this sober journey, whether you, you know, are doing it because you're an alcoholic or you're doing it because you just want to remove alcohol from your life, like just know that like it's tough in the beginning, but it does can start to get better. Um, and I still struggle and I still have cravings now and then, and I still want to drink now and then, but like my life really has become better without alcohol. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful for, for my sobriety. I'm going to link up a couple of books in the show notes. If you want to check those out, just a couple books that I've read in my recovery, um, that have been really good around sobriety Um, and then as always, feel free if you have questions to reach out to me, you can reach me over on Instagram at recovery state of mind, or feel free to send me an email directly at rsompodcast at gmail.com. Um, until then take care of yourselves and I look forward to talking with you guys again. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of Recovery State of Mind. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to my story. Make sure to check me out on Instagram at Recovery State of Mind. I'd love to hear from you, and my DMs are always open as a safe place. If you want to help me in sharing my story, please head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. Talk to you next time.